We live in a world where you can get anything you need delivered to your door thanks to DoorDash. If you don't want to do the dishes or you feel a little sick, let DoorDash bring dinner tonight. My family uses DoorDash all the time because it connects us to our favorite restaurants without us having to drive. Last night, we got some Indian food for my wife, some gumbo for me, and sushi for the kids. And everyone was happy, and we didn't have to do the dishes. The process of ordering was quick and easy, and I love DoorDash for real. So I was so happy to do this for them because I'm a customer, because I know DoorDash is your door to more. Must be over 21 to order alcohol. Alcohol available only in select markets. DoorDash, your door to more. Download the DoorDash app now to get almost anything delivered. What does mental toughness mean? It's, I think it's taking it on. Uh, I think it's the, one of the things I was really good at is I could take it on the chin. I could lose famously in slam finals. And I guarantee you three days later, I was back to my job. Like I, I was I was happy to get off the canvas. It's like I can I can wallow in self-pity and get my two hours of work in. Like the, 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 those, the, those don't have to be separate issues. Um, but I, I honestly think a lot of mental toughness that doesn't get talked about is preparation. You know, it's a lot easier to worry about something mentally if you know you've eaten everything right. If you, you, you get your sleep, if you, you go through the paces, you're not worried about your body. Like when I wasn't in shape and all of a sudden I'm in the third set and I'm not feeling great, I'm not as mentally tough because I'm like, I'm kind of starting to panic a little bit. Like I don't want this to go longer. You know, maybe it's affecting my decision-making. Uh, maybe I'm making stupid decisions because I want to tap out of points. Like that matters. I think preparation at the highest level matters mentally. And, and a lot of people don't put those together. Andy Roddick is one of the great players of the modern era. He was number one. He's now a Hall of Famer. He got to the finals of Wimbledon three times. He won the U.S. Open. And he's a good guy. I've spent a bunch of time with him. I hung out with him for a story when he was a rookie. I hung out with him for another story later in his career. And I always like spending time with him. And the guy is so much fun to talk about tennis with. I want to talk about strokes with him. I want to talk about serves with him. I want to talk about mental toughness facing Federer and Agassi and Djokovic and Nadal. What it's like to be at the top level of tennis. Roddick can get into all of that. This is going to be awesome. For half of this conversation, stay right where you are. For the whole thing, go to patreon.com slash show. You can listen to the whole thing. It is awesome. And for just $5 a month, you get our four Friday Patreon exclusives and the full Wednesday conversations with all these amazing guests. It's Andy Roddick, one of the greatest to ever play tennis on Torre Show. Yeah, I was looking at your stats last night and you had almost 10,000 service games in your career and you won 90% of them. That's insane. Uh 68% of your break points saved on 3,000 break points. That's insane. 80% of your first serve points won. Uh, unbelievable. I I want you to please talk us through the serve 
and what it takes to have a great serve. And so just some of the technical things that you were doing so well. You're reading those stats and I, I, I'm sitting here thinking, God, I wish I would have returned a little better. Um, (laughs) (laughs) but, uh, you know, I, I think there's, I think there's a couple things that people focus on that are the wrong thing. You know, it's, it's even like a, like a great pitcher in baseball. Like you look at like Clemens and and Verlander and Nolan Ryan. These guys have tree trunks for legs. Like people focus on like the arm and like what their arm action is. And they must be able to like, you know, throw down. But if you look at like the, the, the really good servers throughout tennis history, whether it's, it's Pete, whether it's Becker, uh, even Izovich is like the one skinny guy who, who dropped bombs, but like there, there's like a, there's like a base there. And I think people focus on like shoulder action and, and that gets a lot of the attention, but you don't see a lot of, a lot of big servers that don't have uh, a real big base. Um, two other technical things that I think are pretty consistent uh, with, with big servers is it's not disjointed. It's not like the, for a right-hander, it's not like the left arm goes up and then the right arm's kind of playing catch up. Like if you think about Pete, he kind of goes down together, up together. If you look at Becker, he's kind of like, it's more exaggerated and lower, but it's down together, up together. Goran was one like he he kind of stepped he he stepped into it didn't serve off two feet but he was kind of the same way, um, and the last thing is, if every server who who serves well and I don't mean fast I mean well meaning like they get that late movement right to where you you're trying to square up a return and the ball is kind of grinding against your strings a little bit. Uh, Pete is the best at it. He's like I think he has the best service motion of all time, but. Um, he has a thing you always good servers always on your front shoulder. So it'd be your left shoulder. If you're a right-hander, the great servers right before they kind of make the move at the ball, they see the ball on the left side of their left arm. So there's like this V from their head to the left side of the arm. And that creates movement. You're able to kind of swing around and you can flatten it out or you can get some turn. A lot of the servers today. And I think of like, uh, like Zverev, he has a problem with his serve, but he, he sees the ball like almost straight on, on the right side of his arm. So therefore it goes straight. So even if it's 140, it's it's straight. It's like a guy who throws 98, but it doesn't have any movement versus like Rivera's throwing 93, but it kind of saws you off at the end. I think I think those are the things may, maybe that don't get enough enough focus. The guys who have it big, who do it big, there's a bit, and you did this really well, they're big shoulder sort of stretch, right? Sort of the left shoulder mm-hmm. goes way up as far as you can and the right shoulder comes way down. To get that, like that's a, that's a big thing into creating the power, right? Well, yes, and so like I think anyone on the tour can hit a hard serve, like one thirty, if they if they rear back. I think the movement and the kind of the action you're you're talking about creates movement, but it also create like there are a lot of guys with big first serves that have terrible second serves. Which the thing you're talking about, you don't see that shoulder action. Like Pete could all of a sudden kind of pull back and you know down break point against Andre rip a 115 second serve and it's aggressive and it's a risk, but it's a very calculated risk. You don't feel like he was going to miss it very often. And, you know, whereas other people, if they're serving, you know, their regulars, 85, 90, and they rear back and try to hit 115, it's, you know, they might as well just go back to whatever their first serve percentage is, you know? So what you're talking about, I think is actually maybe more important on, on a second serve. And when you see the stats that you kind of reeled off at the beginning with the guys that, if they're not, you know, Isner's seven feet tall, so you can't really teach that. Um, but the guys who are like have held, you know, 88% and above, there's not one on that list that doesn't have a great second serve. Um, Roger included. I mean, he, he like his second serve didn't get enough credit because it doesn't go big, but you don't know if it's coming in at 80 
or 98. You don't, you can hit it both ways. You can run it into your body, you know, so the, the guys are able to pitch a good ball game on their second serve. And it's because of the action that you were talking about. Well, yeah, they talk about, I mean, everybody says the second serve is the most important shot in the game. You're only as good as your second serve. Your second serve was great. You kicked it a lot. And that kick is perhaps it is for me, it's been the hardest stroke to learn in the whole thing. For a lot of people, it's hard to really make it move and to make it leap up on people. What is the key to having it have that action, that that leap up or the movement sideways so that pe- so that you can so people aren't gonna like tee off on it? Yeah. So I I'd, I'd say for for pros, you got to keep your racket head speed up. Like people, a lot of, and you'll see a lot of pros like will swing out of their shoes on a first serve and their second serve, their, their swing speed is 70 or 80% of what it was. The, the great servers keep that swing speed up, but they just, you know, you, I, I always say, like, if you look at, if you're in your kind of serve position, I call it the trophy position right before you're about to make a move with the ball. And you think of the tennis ball as like an orange and you would peel it from the left side to the right side. That's kind of the the hand action that you need, like coming up from below and then kind of almost like peeling an orange from the bottom left to the top right. And that kind of creates a little spin. It kind of creates a little check. I mean, they talk about going for hit it, like try to meet it at like seven o'clock and go to like three o'clock. Yeah, I'm not real good at time, but you just you just kind of like you just kind of like <laughs> it's this little motion where like if you were like upside down and your picky was on top and you started peeling an orange from the bottom left side and then ended up on the top right side that little movement creates like the check that you're talking about, which people were refer to as a kick. I mean, it does take, you talk about that swing speed. It does take that moxie to be like, I got a second serve. I do not want to miss this. I got to swing as hard. Like, especially when it really matters to the pros, I can see a lot of people getting a little nervous. They want to like slow it down. Well, it's, it's weird though, because if you can create that spin, you actually going after it, creates uh creates more margin in in, in in a weird way it'd be like so the way i will equate it is if, if you have someone in basketball like i remember scotty pippen like shot the ball and it was a very flat trajectory he was great at it but there was a lot less room for air than someone like steph curry who's like throwing rainbows right so he, he can actually go do it and it, it kind of comes like from from low to high and it you know so i think that same with the serve like he can pull up and it looks like a risky shot from 30 feet but because of the arc and because of the trajectory of his shot, it's not insane. Um, I, I think it's similar with with kind of great servers and their second serves. You actually have to go at it to create the spin, which creates height and margin. So when you stepped up second serve, break point, you still had that same confidence of like, I know I'm going to make this. I hoped I was going to make it. Um, <laughs> so like, I, I don't I, I knew it, it's weird. It's like I, don't, I didn't really operate that way. I wasn't like and that's probably why I wasn't you know one of the greats. But. Like I would go up and I'd go, okay, best chance to get out of jail here is, is to go big, run it into the body. And I was kind of fine with that decision-making process. I didn't really worry too much about outcomes. It's like, listen, this is what I have to do to get out of jail. Let's try to execute as best we can. And it's going to fall where it does. I mean, you're so fucking modest. Wasn't one of the, you were number one in the world for a while, number two in the world for a while, competing in the finals of slams you got a slam the u.s open the which to me is the most important slam you you know hall of fame career on inarguably so when you get those big moments against a, a federer or whatever an agassi you know and it's a break point and it's close three four whatever tiebreaker are you nervous like what are you thinking about to like propel you through those moments well they're different um you know roger you know, I would be more likely to run it 
like a big one in on the body. Cause when he's extended, he could just, I mean, we played the same point uh, for a decade where he'd kind of lay down that short chip to my backhand. I still to this day can't hit topspin on a backhand. Uh, and so I would pick my poison. I'd either have to come in on something terrible or kind of get to neutral on the back end, which also wasn't a good, good place for me to be. So for him, I'd run it out a little bit more. Andre would get inside the court. And if you actually hit your spots wide against him, cause his reach wasn't as good. Uh, you, you could get away with kind of going after a second serve to different spots. So you would serve completely differently. Roger, if he got extended was, was better. Andre, uh, you know, he was hoping you were going to try to get it away from him and miss. And if he actually got it square, I mean, there was no one better about just kind of squaring up, uh, your misses, um, as far as location. I mean, so you're thinking about strategy and execution. Cause a lot of people would get in those moments and be nervous or thinking about like, you know, what I have to do to get it done. You know, the football coach sort of thing, like you can do it. And you're like, no, I'm thinking about the spot that I want to hit the ball and where I want to hit my next shot. And. Yeah. I mean, that, that all plays into it. And I actually wish I, I you know, I, I wish commentary, welcome to 2020 when kids walk in, but um, I, I wish commentators actually broke that, that, that down a little bit more because, you know, it, it's a lot of like, okay, serve forehand, serve backhand or hit to his, you got to find the backhand. But a lot of times, like against the best players, like you're not going to find Rafa's backhand unless you pull him wide to his forehand first to create some space. Right. And so it, it, you, it's not as easy as like rec tennis where it's like this guy's backhand sucks. Just go after it. You know, there, there's almost like a two shot combo to everything. And serving's kind of the same way. Like there were guys that I knew I would go into matches and say, like, I actually don't care what they do stylistically on the return. I can go through them. And as long as I have a high percentage of first serves, they're not going to get into games. But then you run into like the Novaks and the Murrays and the Rogers who, if they get a racket on it, it's most likely they're, they're unbelievable at getting, at getting neutral. And so your Hewitt is in that class as well. Um, but you would, you, it would completely change to where it's not just what I'm bringing today. I have to adjust based on what they do well. Well, let's let's talk about some of the the legends who you played. I mean, you played Federer a bunch, big time matches. You know, Wimbledon. Yeah. Um, what what was it like facing this guy who you know, arguably the greatest of all time? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's weird because you get to a certain. I think you get to a certain level, and it all becomes matchups. You know, so it's 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 strange because I had a, a winning record against Novak, and you know not a horrendous record against Rafa and a disastrous record against Roger. That doesn't mean that Roger's automatically better. It means that what I did well played into his pocket a little bit more. He served well. I didn't return that well. I couldn't break him as much, you know, whereas, you know, Rafa second serves, I knew I could probably get a good hit on the first ball and at least get some action going. Um, so for Roger, it was, it, it was tough because, you know, I actually liked the guys who took big swings on returns. Um, you know, like uh, Andre was a great returner and I didn't have a good record against him, but I also knew that if I hit my spots, he was going to give me, you know, he was going to kind of lean one way. And if I actually hit the other way, you know, he, he was either going to be feast or famine. He was going to square it up and I was going to be on my heels or, you know, Andre got aced a lot, actually. Um, you know, Roger, he, if he got a racket on it, he'd feather it. It'd be deep in the court. We'd be at neutral. And that was just not a good place for me to be. Um, and he served well enough and, and kept me off balance. You know, a lot of, I, I could return. Okay if guys have predictable patterns, Roger was like unbelievable at, you know, however many matches later and however many pressure moments later, if you told me I had a break point against him right now, I still couldn't tell you where he was going to serve. And he could, he could throw it, you know, kind of behind his head with a kick toss and go T, you know, so I, I, not being a natural returner, 
he was the toughest for me because he pitched such a good ball game uh, with his serve. And then when we got to neutral, he knew that he could kind of pull the string on that slice and I'd kind of be stuck on the backhand side. Um, you know, so it was, uh, he, he forced me to make uncomfortable decisions more often than anyone else. I mean, the, the best player you ever faced for me. Yeah. It was, that. It, it was like a, like I knew like Rafa is phenomenal and he very well could be the best of all time. And I actually think if Novak matches them in slams, I, it, it's hard to actually argue against his record just based on stats and not preferences right. um, for him being the best of all time. So there's a very clear path to Roger, you know, not being the best two of all time um, when it's, when it's sudden down. But uh, I, I wouldn't want to like, if I had to, you know, for, for my house, if I had to play someone in my prime, um, Roger would be the last guy that I would choose. Influencer. It's a word that gets tossed around a lot these days. There is a woman who went the distance, who broke ground as the first true influencer by living a remarkable life. Her name, Elizabeth Taylor. I'm Katy Perry. This is the story of the original influencer. This is Elizabeth the First. Elizabeth the First, the podcast, wherever you listen. We live in a world where you can get anything you need delivered to your door thanks to DoorDash. If you don't want to do the dishes or you feel a little sick, let DoorDash bring dinner tonight. My family uses DoorDash all the time because it connects us to our favorite restaurants without us having to drive. Last night, we got some Indian food for my wife, some gumbo for me, and sushi for the kids. And everyone was happy, and we didn't have to do the dishes. The process of ordering was quick and easy, and I love DoorDash for real. So I was so happy to do this for them because I'm a customer, because I know DoorDash is your door to more. Must be over 21 to order alcohol. Alcohol available only in select markets. DoorDash, your door to more. Download the DoorDash app now to get almost anything delivered. One of the people who helped inspire me to want to be in broadcasting is Oprah Winfrey. She's an inspiration for so many of us, but her daytime talk show was so incredible. And it told me that you could be black and authentic and real on TV. And that made me want to do it, too. Black Stories, Black Truths is NPR's new collection that's a celebration of blackness. Each of NPR's black voices are as direct, varied, distinct and nuanced as the black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and how to create world-shifting things out of struggle. Every episode is a living account of what it means to be Black today, told from a unique Black perspective. Black perspectives that haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story, but now they are the story. On NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. Hear a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcast that center Black voices. Turn on NPR today and hear a range of voices as varied, as nuanced, and as Black as we are. Stories should never be about us without us. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR, wherever you get your podcasts.
Hey peeps, it's your girl, Danielle Moody, host of Woke AF Daily. Every weekday, I'm sounding the alarm and keeping you woke to all the pure evil that is going on in our country. Check me out now at patreon.com slash woke AF. Get five new shows every week for just $5 a month. Get woke and stay woke as fuck. My friends asked me to ask you this question because you wonder if a guy like you uh, has moments that you, that haunt you, right? Like when you think back on your career and there's moments that like, God, you know, like uh, 09, Wimbledon final, yeah. you win the first set against Roger, you're up 6-2 in the tiebreaker. Um, yep. he, he hit some great serves, but you had some serves that you could, and then it, you had a point where you get a nice high backhand volley. Um, and, 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 and it went way out and you could have made it. Yeah. I mean, it's a tough shot, but you could have made it. Do you think about a shot like that or a moment like that? It's like, ah, oh, man, if I get that, I'm up two sets at Wimbledon. Ah, uh, not often. Um, I, I honestly like I don't I don't before this year when I, I actually started doing a little bit more um, stuff for Tennis Channel, like tennis just isn't part of my daily orbit. Um, I, I just don't do it. It doesn't dictate terms of, of any day that I live. Um, you know, this year's actually been nice to get back into it. But um, I people think I lie. Like, I don't ever think about it. I, I actually watched, I was on a, like a stationary bike and they were playing it. Uh, it's like two years ago. And I, I've, I had never actually watched the match back. Um, and the shot that pissed me off the most was, so the back end volley that you're talking about, it was a, it was a choke on decision-making and not so much the shot. Right. So there's this crosswind that blows there and it was pretty, it was actually pretty blustery that day. And so the ball got up in the air and my first reaction was like, it's actually going to float wider, wider long. Um, and then like, it's in the air and you're, yeah, this is all happening like within three seconds. Right. And I'm like, I'm not convinced. And then like the old thing is like, if you're not sure you play it. And so I choked on decision-making, right. I kind of panicked at the last second and kind of lurched at it. So you thought um, don't hit it. And then you thought, no, I better hit it. Yeah. And, and then um, the thing is, is like with someone that good, like, so where I was in the court, had I just like kind of laid it off, I was, I was going to be three feet past the sideline. Um, if I didn't actually hit a winner on it, I was dead. And so at the last second, you kind of lurch on it. And I, I took a swing at it because I knew if I didn't, if I just played it back in the court, he was already recovered. Right, um, right. Like he was back, back neutral. So the, the, the options were let it go or you better hit a winner. And I obviously chose the wrong one and executed it horrendously. <laughs> I mean, you know, there's 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 only like two or three people in the world who could make that shot. Do you, do you think that you make that shot in the second round, but because it's the finals and all these sort of things that you miss it? No, I don't think so. I, I honestly like I I wasn't really I, I used to get a lot more nervous in the first and second rounds of tournaments, like just jittery. Um I didn't know where I stood. By the time I would get to like a semis or a final, um it uh I knew I was actually playing fine. Um, you know, I, I, oftentimes I wasn't, uh, you know, it, it was, it was an extreme, uh, you know, the person on the other side had a, had a, had a significant talent surplus and I still can't hit topspin on one side of my body. Um, <laughs> you know, so th that, that was probably more stressful, but honestly, that was, I, I could have missed that just as easily, you know, miscalculating it. Uh, but the, the shot that pissed me off and I forget and no one ever talks about it is it's, 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 it's amazing. Um, I, I don't know if it was at six, one or six, three. No, I, I guess I wasn't up six, one. It was sometime in the breaker, like on when I was kind of gagging away those, those, those set points, but I hit a forehand, like I was on the run out of position and I'd kind of just let it fly. 
and I put it on his shoe tops, like on on his shoe. And off the short hop, he just kind of like flicked it into the. But I, in a weird way, if that had been at six five, I don't know that he makes that shot. Like I think it was like, oh gosh, this breaker's over, and he just kind of like nonchalantly flicked it. That's one of the most amazing shots I've ever seen that no one ever talks about. Yep. Like I'll miss that. I'll miss that backhand way more often than he actually makes that shot. And I, I, I had completely forgotten about that. And when I watched it back for the first time, I was like, motherfucker, like that was, that was insane. Like that was unbelievable. There's definitely some just like racket flicky shots that he just makes. Ugh. That's like, Jesus Christ. Um, I want to talk about no. some more of the, G, the, the, the greats who you've played, but I, I want to touch back on one more thing technically because you, you, you slagged your backhand a bunch, but that's because your forehand was also pretty fucking awesome, which allowed you to get through and win a lot because um, you can't do it with just a serve. And you yeah. know your forehand was super world-class. What'd you do so well on the forehand that you want other people to start to think about to improve their forehands? Yeah, I, I was, I was, I had a really good forehand early on in my career. Um, and I haven't really talked about, I, I had a, uh, a small tear in my shoulder and it was like, Oh, eight. Um, and it, it kind of transformed the shot because I, 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 it was weird cause it didn't really hurt my, my, my serve much, but on my forehand, kind of that, that pinch on the front of the shoulder, I kind of had to readjust to where it became more of a, a little bit of a loopy shot. And ha- I had to kind of s- kind of surround that adjustment by getting faster and kind of losing, kind of learning how to move a little bit better. But, um, you know, early on in my career, it was kind of like a, it was a little bit of a blunt force trauma. You know, it was, it was pretty, it was pretty simple. Like anytime I had two feet underneath me, uh, I needed to create space between me and my opponent. Right. So that means I had to drive it through the court. I, I, I thought about, it. I was just trying to keep as much space between the two of us as possible. Um, and, and that was kind of that long kind of laid down, uh, forehand to where they, they were never going to get inside the court on my forehand. You were Western on the forehand. I don't know grips. I don't know. I really don't. Um, if I had a racket, I could show you, but I don't know. I, I don't know all the stuff. I wasn't like a super, you know, they, they don't teach a lot of technique in Nebraska. So I, I, uh, I, I actually don't, I actually don't know. I know my backhand, I made an adjustment to where it actually really helped. I used to, you know, kind of try to do it, but I almost had this like shovel grip, like where if you held like a cooking pan and then you just put the other, and I could actually shove it. I didn't miss it late in my career. That that got a lot better. My forehand got worse. But you can't, you came over it real well. You hit it really hard. I mean, you definitely put people in trouble with that forehand. Yeah, I think I think one of the things that makes kind of forehands better is a lot of people hit it well one way. Um, you know, you think of, uh, well, Courier was amazing, but you think, uh, you know, there's some guys who are like a lot of the Eastern Europeans have those grips that you would probably know the name of where, you know, it's a little, it's not as, it's not as Western. And when I see that, I'm like, okay, so they're going to actually come around the ball. So their forehand to your forehand from both sides of the court is probably going to be their best shot. But like down the line, it's tough to go around the outside of the ball and actually get guidance down the line. I was able to kind of hit all the spots in my forehand. So it probably made it look a little bit better than it was. I could hit it inside out. I could pull it to their forehand. Um, I was happy hitting it both ways on the run. So I think just the fact that I could kind of hit all the spots with my forehand kind of made the the court a little bit bigger for me. Um, it, it made it a little bit of a better shot. Um, I, I mean, I know a guy as big as you who hit the ball as forcefully as you, you would generally expect that person to come in more and knock off volleys. And you really didn't. You stayed back a lot. 
do you, do you think about that? Like you could have been a little more effective if you'd been able to come in more. Well, I, I came in a lot actually when I started working with with Connors. Um, you know, so I, I, uh, yes and no. I mean, it, it's funny because people would always say, like, I get that question a lot, and it's so you opened you opened the conversation with me holding ninety two percent of my career, which is like third all time, and then inevitably someone asked, well, why didn't you serve in Bali more? I go, cause that's not the part I needed to fucking do. Like I was, I, I held all the time, you know, it did like, if it would please uh, everyone else's eyes and make the narrative easier for like being a more complete player, but that wasn't really my goal. My goal was to try to win something. Um, you know, so I, 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 uh, I didn't mind it, but later on in my career, when I didn't really have the, you know, the knockout power on the forehand, I, I actually had to move better and kind of chip, learn how to chip the ball around to create kind of different, different pattern options. So, um, honestly, like my, like, let's say I serve someone hits like a neutral chip ball. We refer to the backhand. I, the volley I missed earlier, that was like one of those floaters. I would have gotten a million and a half of those throughout my career. Had I served and volleyed more, I would have rather had two feet under me with a forehand and kind of distribute that way and have my approach shot be actually the best volley that I have, if that, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you referred to um, being coached by one of the greatest players of all time, Jimmy Connors. Um, yeah. Just such a thrill to watch him. Um, what Can you talk about some of the great advice that he gave you? I love Jimmy. Um, and he's complete. But like when you know Jimmy well, um, he's – his personality and the way he went about coaching would be completely counter to what you would think just from him, like dry humping the New York crowd when he hit a good shot for, for 20 years, you know, which was amazing by the way. Um, but, uh, you know, it's weird because when we started working together in, in 06, he hadn't been around tennis in, in 14 years. And I, I don't mean like been around tennis. Like he was there. Some, like no one saw him for 14 years. Like he stopped in 90, I think he played the 92 U S open kind of on the heels of 91, obviously. And I don't get the dates wrong, but he disappeared. Like no one saw him. Um, and so when I kind of convinced he didn't know any of the players, you know, so when we're talking about coaching, it was purely, you know, it, it was the first time my mindset changed to like, let's really, really completely focus on, on what we need you to do better. And so, uh, the, the footwork that he was able to, to, to kind of guide me down cha- completely changed my life. And I actually wouldn't have been able to adjust and stay relevant. Um, once I kind of lost knockout power on my forehand without him kind of tweaking my footwork. And he, he made my back end into a, it was never going to be great, but he made it into not a weakness. And especially against not the top players, I never lost matches because of my back end. Um, I could keep it down. I could hit it flat. I could keep it in the court. Um, but his biggest thing was like, I struggled my back and it used to be kind of like both arms would go out straight and I would kind of shove it. Yeah. And, and the best piece of advice he gave me to where I actually had a pretty serviceable back end from then on, he goes, he goes, I want your left elbow to be soft. He goes, just, just soften your left elbow. Don't think about anything else. Just make sure when you're taking it back, that's soft. And just by that one thought, it fixes six things right? It's impossible to have that soften a little bit and, and, and reach for the ball. Like you can't get like the, the reach thing. Your footwork is automatically better because you're closer to the ball. So he had this way of like fixing one thing, which would then kind of have this trickle down effect to where he'd fix five things without you even knowing it. What were some of the footwork things you talked about? Just smaller steps. He, he, he talked about like, listen, don't hit your forehand kind of fading away. Like he always talked about like this, like, like a, like a C or like a half circle. He goes, 
all of your footwork needs to almost be like a half circle, right? So if you're if you're hitting a backhand and you're running, you kind of need to adjust on your forehand. If you if you can't get there to hit your shot with just this little quick, you know, two or three step movement, if you're if you're moving to your left and you're kind of fading away, that should be a backhand, and you need to firm that up and look for the right ball because he goes, you do the fadeaway forehand and it opens you up to you know, backing down the line and you're busy, you're taking two steps to recover just because you want to hit a certain shot. So, um, and also he, he was big on like just a little bit of forward movement on every shot with your feet. So even if it's a backhand, don't hit it and kind of jump backwards. Like I did. He's like, even if it's just the feeling and like the intent of hitting a backhand and having one inch of body movement going forward, your feet have to make that happen. So again, by kind of having that one thought where every time you hit the ball, obviously if you're on the dead run, it's not the same, but anytime you can, if you can just inch forward a touch, it kind of fixes, it fixes your footwork in a lot of different ways. So just that kind of mindset of trying to get forward a little bit on every shot, not like where you're hitting and you're running forward three feet and being ridiculous, but um, just kind of the intent of not losing ground and maybe inching forward just a touch. What does eating healthy mean to you? Whatever your eating goals, Thrive Market is the best place to get all your groceries and household essentials. And getting Thrive shipped to your door is like having a great supermarket right outside your house. I love that Thrive Market carries brands with the highest quality ingredients and ethical sourcing methods. Whether you're looking for organic kid snacks or low sugar alternatives or gluten-free essentials, Thrive Market's got it and their site lets you curate your shopping experience quickly. And as a Thrive member, I save on every order, usually about 30%, which of course I love. And when you join, you help a family in need with the membership matching program. Join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order plus a $60 gift for free. Go to thrivemarket.com slash for 30% off your first order plus that free $60 gift. That's Thrive, T-H-R-I-V-E Market dot com slash Torrey thrive market dot com slash Torrey on March 16th 2000 two sheriff's deputies were shot in Atlanta Jamil Alamine a Muslim leader and former black power activist was convicted but the evidence was shaky and the whole truth didn't come out during the trial my name is Mosi secret and when I started investigating this case in my hometown I uncovered a dark truth about America from tinderfoot tv campside media and iheart podcasts radical is available now Listen to the new podcast, Radical, for free on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Some of the other greats who you faced, you were early Nadal era. Um, so he mm-hmm. was still coming up, but you guys had some great battles. Do you, do you, are you ahead of him career-wise? No, I, I don't know what I – maybe like 4-7. I mean, it's a pretty good split. It's, it it, it kind of went as you thought. Like I, I played him on some fast surfaces and I got some wins and then – I did a couple of uh, suicide missions away in Davis Cup on clay. Um, you know, Indian Wells, slow, high bouncing. I think I lost him there a couple times. Um, beat him in Miami. Um, you know, but it was it, it was weird. Like, you get him on his surface, and it's like there's there's not there was not much that I could do. Um, but besides trying to find religion, that was going to get me through. Um, I mean, against him. I imagine that it would be really annoying to play him because the ball is bouncing up to your shoulder all the time. It's just no fun yeah. to hit that high bouncing ball all day long. It's it, it, him. I think is a single biggest differential between like the surface mattered the most, right? Like Novak slow. He was still better fast. Like he's a great, you know, probably been 
something that doesn't get talked about enough is he's probably been the best player in grass for the last decade. Absolutely. And, and well, people don't the last decade. Just, people, he's the best player in the world. Well, for sure. But specifically like it, people are kind of like lazy with analysis. So like, okay, Rafa's on, on clay Rogers on grass. And they, they basically give Rob Roger a lot of credit for the years that he was beating me. But like since 2010, Novak's been the best player on grass and he's beaten everyone on grass. Um, you know, so it's Rafa was the matchup that was, if I was on something really fast, like I played him in Dubai one time, I knew I like, if, if I made first serves, he wasn't going to get neutral a lot. You know, I I'd serve and volley against him a lot more, but there were at least things that I could do that could maybe upset him. Whereas like on a slow court against him, it's, if he can back up, get some space and he creates so much action, like you were talking about that create that changes the entire dynamic. Cause all of a sudden he can swing on my first serve as opposed to just guessing and like stabbing and, and, and kind of hoping. Um, so hit, hit, the matchup with him was the most surface dependent of, of the three. And I mean, they talk about how he likes to wear you down. So like, you know, by the second set, you're just kind of tired and you're just kind of like, Jesus, I yeah. kind of want this to end. Like, was that how it felt? It did. We didn't really have, like, we didn't play, we didn't play a ton in slams. Um, you know, so I, I kind of, I played him once early at the U.S. Open and kind of ran through him pretty easy. And then towards the end of my career, we played the U.S. Open, but I played like a monster against Ferrer the day before. And I was kind of like, feel like I was done. Um, so he, he's like, you remember Mortal Kombat when it's like, finish him. I was kind of just sitting there and he just tore my head off. Um, but it's weird. Like I didn't get that because I actually didn't give the, the chance. Like I knew I had to serve in volley. I knew that any ball I had that I could take a swing at, you know, you just come out of your shoes. So I, I, I wasn't real interested in getting into those long rallies against, against him. That just wasn't going to end well. So I don't know that I got the full Rafa experience to where, you know, it's a set all you're two hours in and you're looking for the exit door. Um, you, you know, I, I don't know that I ever had that, that full experience, but I, I I've certainly seen it. Um, you grew up loving Agassi. You got to face him toward the end of his career, but he was still a great player while you were yep. pretty much at the height of your powers as a younger guy. Um, what was it like facing Agassi? He, he's a single best ball striker that I've ever seen or, or played against. Um, what he's able to do, like, just like Novak's amazing because he is able to distribute the ball, change directions without it feeling risky. But Andre, if you put him, you know, on one side of the court and hit balls to him, like his ability to take full swings on a ball that lands two feet in front of him is something I've never seen before. Like his, his eyes pick it up and the way he's able to kind of you know, move on it, um, is, is, is insane. I feel like Novak is like a microcosm of the evolution of tennis, but what Andre would look like now, if he was five inches taller and could cover the court, two more steps on, on each side. Um, he, he, his ability to kind of square up the ball and bully you, like you couldn't go through him. And the other thing, like I and people are like, oh, okay, you, you could rip forehands. Yes. But I needed time to set up and like, like set. And then I could give it a ride. Andre could give it a ride without needing the time. Right. Like, so you could hit a big ball to him and he could kind of just like square it up. And you're like, well, that, that, that doesn't seem fair. Like that, that wasn't like, I, that was, that was, I, I, that took a lot of effort for me and, and, and you, you kind of just like handled it. So that, that's kind of intimidating in its own way. You talk about Novak and the width of the court that he's able to Ugh. do. And, and I think this is one of the things that, that commentators don't talk about enough that makes him different that 
you know, most people like say can get to within a foot of either sideline and hit a strong shot. Outside of that, they're hitting a weak shot and hoping to stay in the point. Novak can can stretch two steps beyond that and hit a strong shot. So his court is wider than yours, where he can hit great shots from. Um, it, it, physically, movement-wise, he's unbelievable. He's unbelievable, and, and and I think you hit the nail on the head. There are guys who are like fast, but you don't feel you don't feel them as much because when they're extended, they don't get a lot on the ball. I, I think actually Novak and uh, Andy Murray are the best I've seen about like being full. Actually, Medvedev now is a, is amazing at it, um, but being fully extended and being able to kind of like still get something on the ball, kind of keep it down. But the number one thing that Novak does well that doesn't get talked about enough is he's the best I've ever seen at getting the pattern that he wants against anybody, right? He's the only guy that Rafa can hit that kind of get out of jail free, you know, forehand cross court that gets up and away on, on a right-hander, which is basically dictated the terms of the entire uh, rivalry with Roger on slower surfaces. But Novak's the only guy that can not be stressed while taking that ball line and finding Rafa's backhand with margin. Um, you know, and against Roger, he can find the pattern where he's hitting deep backhands to Roger's backhand and he can pin him in that corner. He, he, his ability to change directions without it being risky is, is unbelievable. And he makes it so easy that it's almost like people don't talk about it. Like it's not, it's not the shot like Roger, where we're talking, like he picks it up off the uh, shoe tops and it looks amazing. You're like, Whoa, you know, the, the stuff that Novak does well is, isn't, isn't obvious to the eye. I, I, I don't think. And so you know, that, that could be part of it, but his ability to kind of switch directions to find the pattern that he wants in a given matchup is, is something I've never seen. That was amazing. For more from me and Andy Roddick, Join us over at patreon.com slash show. There's another half hour of amazing conversation digging into tennis with Andy Roddick. Thanks so much to Andy for a great interview, and thanks to you for listening. And thanks to our super producers, Britt, Marcus Harkis, Noel, Sam Montes, Jason Reynolds, Gerville Calais, Michelle Brenda Cox, Kathy F., Dr. Keena Murphy, Earl Dorsey, and Theo Tokis. Torre Show gives you fuel to power your dreams because you can use your dreams like a rocket ship to blast you into a life you never imagined. You can make your dreams a reality, and this show can help. You can find me on Twitter at Torre and on Instagram at Torre Show and on Patreon at patreon.com slash Torre Show. Torre Show is written by me, Torre, and produced by Jackie Garifano. Our editor is Ryan Woodhall. Our photographers are Chuck Marcus and Shanta Covington. Our booker is Claudia Jean, and we're distributed by DCP Entertainment. And we will be back on Friday and on Wednesday with more amazing guests because the man can't shut us down. We live in a world where you can get anything you need delivered to your door thanks to DoorDash. If you don't want to do the dishes or you feel a little sick, 
Let DoorDash bring dinner tonight. My family uses DoorDash all the time because it connects us to our favorite restaurants without us having to drive. Last night, we got some Indian food for my wife, some gumbo for me, and sushi for the kids. And everyone was happy, and we didn't have to do the dishes. The process of ordering was quick and easy, and I love DoorDash for real. So I was so happy to do this for them because I'm a customer, because I know DoorDash is your door to more. Must be over 21 to order alcohol. Alcohol available only in select markets. DoorDash, your door to more. Download the DoorDash app now to get almost anything delivered.